Um, okay, welcome. My name is Troy Swanson. I'm the library department chair. Today we're doing a panel discussion on artificial intelligence and machine learning. And this is part of our um, One Book, One College program on Isaac Asimov's book, um, iRobot. And I'm really excited about this because it's a way for us to pull some of our technology faculty from the T building out of the depths and the caves <laughs> that we lock them up and pull them here into the light, into the library. And I'm hoping um, to have a good conversation that, that sheds some reality on some of the technological advances that are um, happening out there. Um, let's just quickly do um, some intros, then I'll set it up and we'll dive in. So, uh, Kevin, why don't you go ahead? So I'm Kevin Vaccaro. I'm uh, the cybersecurity uh, instructor and program over in the T building. Hi, I'm. Excuse me. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Um, hi, I'm Rob Schwinn. I'm a technolo uh, engineering technology instructor. Sorry, they changed my uh, uh, my title. <laughs> um, I teach electronics. Uh, I was running the robotics club, which I'm going to try to get that going again uh, this next year. Um, uh, electronics. Uh, I did some LAN work also. Uh, I'm into artificial intelligence and AI, and I uh, hope. Uh, you guys will come up with some good questions that uh, may scare you. <laughs> Hi, I'm Larry Langelier. I'm professor of computer science. Okay, we good now? There you go. Okay, uh, again, I'm Larry Langelier. I'm professor of computer science here at Moraine Valley. I've been here for 20 years. Uh, when I got my master's degree, I actually specialized in natural language understanding at the University of California at Davis, which is a branch of artificial intelligence. Nice, okay. So just a, a quick setup, right? Well, there's a lot of doom and gloom out there if you do a little reading about um, computers taking our jobs. That, uh, you know, like for instance, the number one job for men who do not have a high school di diploma is driving a truck. It's a one job that you can get training in, you can get a job that pays you enough money to live. And as we're talking now, people are quickly working to make self-driving cars where all of those jobs could just vanish, right? So then what happens um, to, those, to those people? How do we put those people to work? Um, and they're predicting across white collar, you know, physicians and insurance industry, all kinds of jobs, um, we're seeing computer programs increasingly able to do um, our work. And so I think that's the thing that I'd like to talk a little bit about is, What's the reality? How far will this go? Should we be really scared? What does the technology look like with technology people who actually um, know it? So um, let's dive in. Uh, first off, I want to just get some definitions and like help us understand what is, I've been using the word artificial intelligence or the term, but I think the term that is preferred is machine learning and maybe what's the difference? Help us understand. All right, so artificial intelligence is the umbrella. So think of it as the large covering. Machine learning is underneath that. So is deep learning. Machine learning is a branch of the, um, the whole spectrum we call artificial intelligence. It's a branch where given when they say machine learning, it means you give it enough data, it can analyze it and, and draw decisions based on a large data set. And I mean large data set. So yeah, going off of what, uh, Kevin uh, was talking about, uh, basically we have a very large data set. So it could be a data set on anything. Um, uh, what Troy was talking about, uh, uh, automatic driving trucks and driving cars, which we, everyone knows about the Teslas, they drive themselves. 
and uh, sometimes kill people <laughs> also <laughs> inadvertently. Um, <laughs> so it's it's not a hundred percent. I know. Yeah, the guy with the trailer. Mm -hmm. um, so there are some flaws to it, and uh, unfortunately, some flaws are going to kill people. That's, um, but uh, basically, the way the stuff is trained is we'll give it a lot of different situations and tell it what to do. So uh, it's gonna when they're training these, they'll have other cars, they'll have stoplights, they'll have signs. And the car is supposed to pick that up and make a decision on what to do. Okay, there's a sign that says 35. Now I'm going to lower the speed down to 35. Uh, pedestrians walking in front of me, slam on the brakes. Um, but like I said, there there's still flaws to the system. But that's that's why people are working on this stuff. And uh, also what Troy was talking about, people are worried about losing jobs. Some people may lose jobs, but other jobs are going to pop up because it's technology and it's not going to build itself, which uh, that's <laughs> what some people vision artificial intelligence. And that's uh, a lot of what movies portrayed mm -hmm. where uh, the robots are thinking mm -hmm. for themselves. They're really not. We're telling them how to think and then they're coming up with decisions. I'll go ahead and pick up on a couple of things that both Kevin and Rob said. Uh, one is going back to artificial intelligence as the umbrella. Uh, machine learning specifically, I want to talk a little bit about what it is not, even though it applies to a lot of these areas. Uh, machine learning um, is not uh, robotics. It's not automation. Uh, natural language understanding that I mentioned. Uh, machine learning can help in all of these areas, but it's, it's not specifically that. Uh, it's not all about processing uh, speech or generating speech. It's not most importantly, I would add that machine learning is not actually learning. Okay, uh, that is certainly the term that's used, but learning to me implies an understanding of what it is that you're seeing and, mm -hmm. and recognizing, and it's more machine pattern recognition. Uh, we feed a lot of data, and there are patterns there to be discerned. Uh, what those patterns mean and, and how to use those is something that certainly uh, a human has to train it on. After it's trained on that, it gets better and it gets better and it can even self-train at points. But probably the most important thing to take away from all of these fields right now is how narrow the specialty is. Mm -hmm. You are tr creating a system that can do one thing really well and a five-year-old can probably beat it on everything else. Mm -hmm. So uh, you know, as we get to some of the future questions, I'll start talking about artificial general intelligence, which is really for sure not what's happening right now. A machine that thinks and acts like a human and can exceed a human in most ways. So, just to get a little more detail, um, I read uh, about um, a program that learned to recognize pictures of cats. So, like you mentioned, like most, you know, three and four year olds can point at a thing and say, "Oh, it's a cat," or "Not a cat," right? Mm -hmm. Right. How how would that look to teach a machine to recognize a cat or you know whatever, a thing? Yeah. So part of teaching it is showing it lots and lots of pictures of cats, but then somebody's got to be there to help it understand what it's seeing and what the characteristics are. It can notice certain patterns and, and recognize those, but I guess I'll change it away from the cats and start talking about Amazon. When you shop at Amazon, there's machine learning at play there when it goes down and it suggests to you and it says, hey, other people who bought this item also bought these items. Okay, that may be kind of a simplistic form of machine learning, but it's for sure the computer is looking at the patterns of what you've bought, what you've bought specifically, looking at 
hopefully for Amazon, millions of customers and, and other people who bought either that specifically or other things, and is saying, hey, you may not have thought of this, but here's some other things that you might want to be thinking about buying. So certainly one of the things about the machine learning there is that Amazon doesn't have to do a whole lot of extra work of going and telling when a pattern is recognized whether it's good or not because they've got the data already that somebody, many, many other people who bought the particular item you're purchasing right now also went and bought other items, okay? So, so in, in the data they're gathering, there's already kind of proof of concept, if you want to call it that, of, hey, here's some related items. They don't have to do any extra training. That's not true in a lot of other things, coming back to the example of cats. You know, somebody's got to be there and tell it when it's right and when it's wrong. Mm. So uh, stemming off of uh, where Larry was going, uh, how many of you guys, uh, I say you guys in general, uh, use Pandora? I was going to say for real, no one listens to Pandora. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Pandora, you know, it's online radio type of app. But um, you pick a station, you say uh, rock, and then uh, an Aerosmith song comes on and you give it a thumbs up and another song comes on. It won't only give you rock songs, it'll actually give you other genres of songs but it's going to see each one that you say, yeah, I like this song. Oh, no, I don't like this song. Because uh, you may not like songs there in the rock genre, but it's going to learn what you like and find other songs that other people like that are similar to that and give you those songs. It's going to constantly give you different things. Like I, That's all I listen to. I listen to Pandora. And, uh, you know, I have Red Hot Chili Peppers, and every now and then a Beatles song will come on. And I'm like, what the heck is this? You know, I don't listen to Beatles, and no, thumbs down, and I won't see Beatles on there anymore. But every now and then it'll throw in something slightly different to see if you're going to like that also. And it's trying to figure out uh, a pattern of what you're looking for. And then the songs that it's going to give you that you haven't liked already, it's going to start matching that pattern also. Well, and I think Pandora is an interesting example maybe a way that we could talk about what like data sets look like because the behind Pandora, and I'm not an expert, that's for sure, is each song has, they've given it a range of characteristics from genres and, and artist names, but also like beat um, and yeah, the I mean, um, rhythms. And yeah, the type of beats, music. the type of drums, um, uh, the type of singing, if it's a grungy singing, if it's alto. Uh, there's a lot of other uh, aspects to each song and it's not just uh, tied up to one group or even one singer a lot of singers sing a lot of different ways and it will take those ways of that song that you liked and match up those ways that are similar to other songs with the same ways so if you keep uh, giving thumbs up it's going to correlate why like what are these reasons why this person keeps giving thumbs up and oh he right. really or she really likes Whatever. It's like, oh, it wasn't just this genre, it wasn't just this group, but he likes uh, bands that have a lot of uh, bass notes in it. And it will give you other bands mm -hmm. similar to that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just testing the waters and just seeing if you're going to give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down, and then it adjusts. Each time you hit that thumbs up or thumbs down, it's going to take that into account for the next song that it randomly gives you. It's not really random, but it's basing it off of all your other likes or dislikes. And, and I'll take that a little bit further and, and build on what Troy and Rob have both said, focusing on this thumbs up and thumbs down. Yes, that's helping tune an individual station, but it's also additional data as 
selections are being made for other people who are listening, mm-hmm. who its senses have similar tastes. And it's like, okay, several people over here have thumbs up this when they're listening to similar things to you are. Let's try that and see how you like that. So, so it's really now all of a sudden some judgment is being made by the, pe- by the people who are using it. And that's an important part is as you think about where machine learning is applicable, how to train that machine learning is an extremely important and sometimes expensive way of doing it. So uh, when you have that easy capability as a part of the process that it's distributed across everybody uh, using it, who's providing that data to the company, now you've got some pretty powerful learning going on that it gets better and better and better over time. Mm-hmm. One more quick analogy. So in the past, before Pandora, the way this was done was through radio stations. Mm-hmm. People would call up a radio station and DJs would just play songs and someone would call up and say, hey, what was that song? I really liked that. And they keep track of the likes and how many people request songs and that's the songs that they play over and over again. Their job is to keep you listening to generate revenue through commercials. So Pandora is kind of doing the same thing. It's mm-hmm. trying to figure out what you like. So either you pay for their service or if you're doing it the freeway, you hear the ads. But it's still keeping you hooked on it by f- figuring out what you like and tailoring the, the music stream to that. And instead of paying a human to sit there, now we don't pay them anymore. Right. And I mean, who listens to FM anymore? All right. <laughs> Okay, well, let's think next. Um, so what are the kinds of things? We've touched on this, right, a little bit, but mm-hmm. maybe we can just go a little deeper here. Um, you know, what are, what are the things that, that, it's that machine learning is really good at? Okay, so I'll give you an example. It was a recent one. So they do a lot of academic research in, say, um, material science, all right, science of materials, and many academic papers are written. And they've been trying to solve a particular problem in material science for quite a long time, and there's many research papers, hundreds and hundreds of research papers, all trying to approach the problem. So they fed all this research into a uh, machine, and basically they had solved the problem. They just didn't see it. So what the machine did is it read all the paper, basically took in all the form, put it all together and then drew and said, wait a minute, the formula is right here. You've had it all the time. It's just that no one could have read all that research and put it all together. It basically read it all, took all the formulas, you know, did the crunch and said, hey, this was the formula you've been looking for for the last how many years. You all solved it. You just didn't correlate this data. So it's really, really good at that. Now, what it's not good at, I'll give you an example just because it's going to come up, is that like self-driving cars, right? So there, it, it's very good at, you know, okay, based on GPS, I'm going to go here and there. There's actual company um, that actually formed that um, when there's uh, situations like, you know, we never get snow here, right? Uh, <laughs> when it's an icy, snowy condition, the car, uh, the artificial intelligence or the car itself can't handle very tricky situations that can't, make decisions based on road conditions and that. There's a company actually, it's kind of like um, playing a video game. They have a real person that then takes over the car and drives it from miles away. I'm talking 15, 20 miles. This company actually exists. It's called Virtual Driver. So basically they take over the car in very tricky situations where the, the, um, the machine can't figure it out because the roads have changed, conditions are bad. So it's not really good at when you know, things get chaotic. It doesn't know how to deal with it like a human would. So. 
Yeah, I've got an, uh, an example. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll add on to that uh, driving example. I was fortunate enough several years ago to go out to Carnegie Mellon. Uh, there was a governmental contest going on at the time for self-driving cars, and Carnegie Mellon's entry was always one of the top ones. Um, I got to witness their entry was called Boss, and, and I saw it in action uh, there at, at an old retired uh, Pittsburgh steel mill. And as they were demonstrating it, it, it went driving around the track, and it was doing a good job of understanding, you know, how to stay on the road, when to stop, and, and things like that. And even when there were other people on the road who were not necessarily obeying the laws, like if you were at a four-way stop and boss got there first, the other person kind of came up and then revved through the intersection. Boss understood that, hey, it's more important that I not have a crash rather than I'm right and it's my turn. But what I found especially interesting that day was as it was driving around the track, a flock of birds flew onto the street. What do you think happened? Well, actually, fortunately, it was not worst case. It did not run those birds over. It stopped. It paused for about three seconds, and then it honked, which I found to be especially interesting in terms of it understanding that that was the right action. So that led them to telling us a story about how the first time that happened, uh, there may have been a first time before that that it ran over the birds. Let's hope not. But uh, it understood to stop, and then as the as the birds or the animals stayed there forever, it just sat there forever, and it didn't know what to do next. So it was kind of that failure as they tested and tested and tested. It's like, okay, here's here's a condition we hadn't thought about. We need to teach it how to do and how to deal with that. So uh, um, it's really similar to how people are taught. Um, a lot of this stuff you really learn early in life. Um, you know, look both ways before you cross the street. You know, before someone told you that, you just ran out and you guys are all still here, so hopefully you're lucky. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of situations that uh, machine learning may try to uh, predict, but unless it was actually taught, and said, okay, this is what you do. Um, sometimes there's a, I don't know if I want to say a, not a fail-safe mode, but, uh, but maybe a fail-safe mode, where if this situation comes up, okay, what do I do? I don't know what to do, I do nothing. Or there may be some kind of backup. Uh, with the Tesla cars, if there's a condition where it doesn't know exactly what to do, uh, conditions are bad, It'll beep and say, "Hey, you got to take control of the wheel again." You know, I'm not going to be responsible for what happens if you don't start driving me. Yeah, I think one other thing I would add is, is there was a quote that I read from Andrew Andrew Ung, who's co-founder of Google Brain in Silicon Valley. Uh, what he said about machine learning and what it's good at is, he said, if a typical person could do a mental task with less than one second of thought, we can probably automate it using AI either now or in the near future. So I agree with that quote. I think that there's a lot that we can automate. I think in specifically machine learning can take care of a lot of that. It's about the amount of data necessary to do that, and more importantly, the amount of training at what the, what the correct course of actions are based on the data. But then what comes into play typically is how much that costs, because it's a very intensive effort to do that training and to create that system. So where does it make financial sense to do that, and where does it not? So the finances are going to have a lot to do with where it is, not so much what it's good at, but where are we even going to bother to do it. That's interesting. So it's good at things that are predictable conditions, big data decisions. Exactly. Creativity, not as good quite yet. So let's talk a little bit about um, where do we see it today. So as an example, I 
had an issue with my cable company. So I call, I won't even say any company's names, but I call them and I get a menu. I don't get a person anymore, right? It's, it's a voice, mm -hmm. but it says, you're calling from this number. Is this you? Yes. Are you experiencing a power outage or whatever, service outage? And I say, yes. And, I, and it solved my problem, like reset my cable box. It took less than four minutes mm -hmm. and I didn't talk to a person. And it was pretty fantastic, right? It wasn't like wait on hold, and then I get someone online, and then they don't help me, and I have to go round and round. So is, is that machine lear learning at work, or is there machine learning behind that? It is certainly basic machine learning, yeah, okay. in part because you're punching a button to tell it your answer. So uh, well, there are some that can there are voice. some that can recognize you know mm -hmm. simple numbers and things like that. But if you want to start having a conversation with it, <laughs> that would not it's happen. It's not going to happen. <laughs> okay, right. So. So what you're running into, of course, it was an automated uh, uh, operator. Um, back in the day, uh, we're all kind of old, uh, if you called up someone for tech support on some something, uh, a lot of times this person had no idea how whatever your problem is or the product that you had, how it worked. It was someone that had a script and they would ask you questions. Uh, is the power light on? Yes or no? No. Okay, check to see if it's plugged in. Is it plugged in? You know, <laughs> mm -hmm. and it, uh, this is called a flowchart. Mm -hmm. uh, it's basically questions, and then based on the answer, what path do you take on this flowchart? And um, like I said, back in the day, there was someone that would do this. Well, voice recognition came into play, and they just took these flowcharts, added the voice recognition to it. So the voice recognition would ask you these questions and follow you through, and if it got to a point where it was like, well, I don't know, well, then you would talk to a real person. Mm -hmm. But if it wound up to boiling down to what your problem is and it can fix it itself, then it fixes itself. We save a person being on a phone. Mm -hmm. So someone lost their job as uh, an operator reading off a script, but then someone gained a job by programming machines that do this. I think what I see a lot of is they're applying a lot of this machine learning into large stuff like uh, medical. So think of, you know, you have a large amount of genetic data, a large amount of data on people. They can correlate large groups of people, and given the amount of data they have, they can then look for patterns mm -hmm. and basically say, you know, this, you know, based on this, the genealogy, how it's set up, and they've used genealogy in many cases, um, I could draw the conclusion that there's this genetic particular trait that's going to come in this particular group in this particular area by analyzing, you know, extreme large. I mean, they only mapped the human genome not long ago. I mean, um, and so they now have a way to, and that took them a while, uh, now they have a way to take all a large sum of data and kind of analyze and look for patterns and, you know, humans' genetic makeup, what you could use with it. I mean, we've talked about facial recognition, reconstruction. They can take genetic data and reconstruct what a face would look like based on its genetic data. So it's really good at taking that stuff and really putting it together where a human would take forever trying to do yeah. that, you know, manually. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the one of the big things, right? So I, there's this, I'm going to mess it up, but there was a, a group of doctors like University of North Carolina or maybe it was South Carolina, and they had a, a stack of heart scans, right? It's like 20,000 heart scans or, or some organ, maybe it's mm -hmm. not the heart. And they could, you know, with that, you can see if there's um, flaws in, in how it's, you know, like you can predict the likelihood that there'd be some health issue that would come, right? And um, there was a, an amount where it would take like humans like two or three weeks to get through. 
And the computer, it didn't have to be better than humans. It just had to be as good as a human. But it took something like 20 minutes, right, to get mm -hmm. through all of this stuff. So mm -hmm. it's not that it's necessarily, in many cases, better. It's just so much faster than what we can do, right? Just mm -hmm. raw computing power. Right. Mm -hmm. right. And, and it's not really new technology. This has been around for a while. I mean, back in the 80s, you know, there was stuff that would do this. But uh, the technology has came around where this process is a lot faster. And uh, you can give it a lot more. I mean, back in the 80s, what a big hard drive was like uh, a 20-megabyte hard drive. <laughs> I mean, that was like a, whoa, you got a 20-megabyte hard drive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now 